0: Hello, and welcome to edition number 1920 of the Whitney Talking News that we're recording on Thursday, the 14th of July, in the Methodist Church in Whitney. I'm Peter B., and I edited this edition. And beside me at the recording controls is Rob Oxpring. Now, this week we've got items from Whitney, Chipping Norton, Carterton, Cornbury, Bourton on the Water, and many other places in the West Oxfordshire area. Our uh, readers this evening are Peter Hughes, Francis Ashling, Michael Webb sorry, Michael Walsh and Jill Bre- Bre- Breakspear. So, Peter, let's have our first story, which is all about Whitney Carnival.
1: Carnival goes ahead for first time in two years. Thousands of people celebrated at one of the county's biggest carnivals, which took place in glorious weather. <clears throat> Whitney Carnival went ahead at the weekend after two years of being shelled because of the pandemic. And while most people welcomed the warm weather, the high temperatures proved too much for some of the four-legged revellers, with a planned dog show scrapped because of the heat. The, ent- the event celebrated the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, with its traditional pra- parade given a royal flavour. The grand procession through the centre of the town continued for 45 minutes with 28 colourful floats, two steam engines, riders from cycle clubs, marching bands, local school children and two bands. The carnival also boasted a stage with music for all ages along with roaming musical acts and speciality children's entertainers performing throughout the afternoon. There was also a funfair and vintage steam vehicles to admire. Local businesses, craftspeople and traders showed off their wares on a range of stalls, with food and drink on offer. The carnival was organised by the town's Rotary Club, Lions Club, Round Table and Royal Air Force Air Air Cadets. Procession organiser David Lord said... After two years of isolation, Whitney really enjoyed itself once again. After the procession took place, we all went to the Lees, which absolutely lends itself to a carnival event. There was something for everyone. My highlight was seeing the procession form up and seeing the delight on all the young people's faces. Whitney is back to an annual event. Whitney Carnival Chairman Ron Spurs said, ''It's so much fun to plan this event.'' We started planning in October last year, working with the Town Council to ensure what we deliver is appropriate and safe. The rail highlight is the procession, and what I noticed in the Town Centre is how many people were really enjoying what they were seeing. Post-Covid, it's one of the major family events that the Town has, and people were genuinely pleased that we are getting back to normal. The thing to remember is that the carnival is free. It's for families to come and enjoy themselves without spending a penny
0: and all the proceeds go to charity. Francis, you have a rather heartfelt story, haven't you?
2: Yes, indeed. It's headlined, Appeal to Help Colleague Who Lost Everything. A fundraising page has been set up to help a work colleague who lost everything in a suspected arson attack. Amanda Cooper is raising funds for the victims of the blaze in Carterton, who, she said, are starting from scratch, by setting up a GoFundMe page. A target of £5,000 has been set, with £770 raised so far. Miss Cooper put out an appeal on Whitney spotted Facebook. I'm sure most people have heard about the fire that happened on Elm Close last Friday. It was one of our work colleagues and we would like to try and raise money to help them get back on their feet. All they currently have is the clothes on their backs, so any donations you can give would be great. Ms Cooper is also asking for items such as a sofa, bed, tables and chairs, women's and men's clothing, shoes, kitchen appliances, white goods and pots and pans. These items can be dropped at the former Dowley's Garage in Norton Way in Carterton between 8am to 5pm. Miss Cooper said they are starting from scratch, so anything anyone can spare, really. The appeal, which has also been posted on our Carterton Facebook page, was deluged with offers ranging from furniture and a smart TV to cutlery and a kettle. One poster also offered use of a van if anything needs collecting. Daniel Bohr, 32, was before Oxford Magistrates Court on Monday, facing charges of arson, being reckless as to whether life was endangered and possession of knife. Prosecutors say he set fire to the house in Elm Close, Carterton, on Friday, July the 1st. Despite the efforts of firefighters, the cul-de-sac property was gutted in the blaze. Appearing before the district judge on Monday morning, Bohr, of Elm Close, Carterton, pleaded guilty to possession of four knives at Carterton Police Station on the day of the fire. Bohr was charged with one count each of arson with recklessness as to whether life would be endangered and possession with a knife-stroke-bladed article in public. He was remanded to appear at the Crown Court on August the 1st.
0: Uh, Michael, we couldn't say anything tonight without mentioning the heat wave, could we?
3: And the story is headlined Health Alert Triggered as Heat Wave Arrives. With temperatures soaring in Oxfordshire this week, a health alert has been issued by the Met Office. Forecasts are for temperatures hitting 30 degrees centigrade in the early part of the week before a slight dip and then reaching up to a high of 31 centigrade on Sunday. Posting online... South Central Ambulance Service, SCAS, issued advice on who will require help the most during the hot weather. It said, a Level 3 heat health alert is in place across our region until 9am on Friday, with a peak in the low 30s. Look out for others, especially older people, young children, babies and those with underlying health conditions. An earlier message from SCAS urged, please help and only call 999 for serious and life-threatening emergencies. If you're unwell, but it's not an emergency, there are other options available. You could use 111 online or pop to your local pharmacy. Many are open late into the night. Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue Services posted the following advice. Close curtains on rooms that face the sun to keep indoor spaces cooler and remember it may be cooler outdoors than indoors. Drink plenty of fluids and avoid excess alcohol. Dress appropriately for the weather and slow down when it is hot.
0: Jill, you've two pieces of news in brief. Yes, indeed. Four
4: months to keep on straight and narrow. A judge has given a thief who breached his suspended sentence four months to stay on the straight and narrow or go to jail. Samuel Cooper, 30, had spent a night in the cells when he came back before Judge Michael Gledhill, QC, last week. The Oxford judge remanded him after the Chalby man arrived at court apparently intoxicated. The 30-year-old appeared before the Crown Court to be sentenced for stealing alcohol from a Tesco Express in Whitney and breaching a non-molestation order by going to a woman's home in the town to try and get hold of clothing. By pleading guilty to the two offences at the Magistrate's Court, he was in breach of a six-month suspended sentence imposed by Judge Gledhill last summer. Together with his friend, Lee Clark, he shoved a man into a shop window in Corn Street in August 2019. The pair pair had been charged with robbery as the victim's phone was said to have been taken. But the men admitted common assault and were given suspended sentences. Cooper of Ticknall Place Road is due to return to court on October 13th. More FGM Women Seen More women continue to be seen by the NHS after having their genitals deliberately cut, removed or changed. Female genital mutilation, or FGM for short, is a procedure where the female genitals are cut or changed with no medical reason for doing so. Although it is illegal in the UK... The NHS states girls are sometimes taken abroad for FGM, including to many parts of Africa, the Middle East or Asia. NHS digital figures show about five FGM survivors in the NHS Oxfordshire CCG area were seen in the year to March. All, or nearly all, were having their injuries reported for the first time.
1: Clarkson finds loophole to open up his restaurant. <coughs> Jeremy Clarkson has opened a restaurant on his Oxfordshire farm, despite plans being rejected by councillors. Proposals for the Diddley Squat restaurant in Chadlington were thrown out by West Oxfordshire District Council in January. However, rather than using an old lambing barn as proposed in his initial plans, Mr Clarkson told the son he had found a delightful little loophole. The Clarkson's Farm star tweeted, I'm thrilled to announce that you now have a chance to try the amazing food we grow and rear on my farm at the brand new but quite rustic Diddley Squat restaurant. The former Top Gear host has found another barn at the West Oxfordshire Farm and told the council he would be opening, opening a restaurant there instead. He told the son, we aren't able to open the restaurant where we wanted to put it and where it's sensible to have it. But there is another barn in one of our fields that met various different criteria, and we just told the council we were opening a restaurant there. You don't need to ask permission. It's so satisfying to be thwarted at every turn by the council, and then find a loophole. On the online rec- restaurant booking service, Open Table, information for Didley squat farm reads... Before making your booking, you should know it's small, mostly outdoors, and very rustic. Ordering a beer or going to the lavatory isn't as easy as in your local pub, and we don't cater to the faddy. We've done our best to keep you warm and dry, but this is England. On the upside, the view is enormous, and almost everything you eat was grown or reared on our farm, so it's fresh, with minimal food miles. There is no menu as such. We simply serve what's available that day. But worry not, your table will be given a selection of sna- snacks and starters, followed by a roast and a pudding. Our bread made with hawkstone lager is absolutely brilliant. Mr Clarkson's hawks hawkstone lager, named after the Neolithic standing stone situated close to his farm, became the best-selling lager on Amazon eight hours after it was launched in November. The original lager has now been joined by other beer varieties, all reported to be selling well. The outspoken motoring enthusiast Clarkson last month invited fans of his beer to a session at the brewery in Borton-on-the-Water to celebrate the launch. The event was exclusive to Hawkstonians, members of Hawkstone's monthly subscription service, and sold out within hours. Brewmaster Rick Keane has made what is described as a perfect quaffable 4% lager using spring barley from Diddley Squat Farm. Clarkson's Farm co-star Caleb Cooper from Chipping Norton recently launched his own cider after revealing he preferred the apple apple drink to beer.
2: This item is... uh Very cheering I thought. Um, A charity which assigns volunteers to people in need has thanked people for giving their time to improve the lives of others with a summer social. Staff and supporters of Volunteer Link-Up in Whitney came together at the event during the month of community which spanned the whole of June. There were light refreshments, a chance to meet other volunteers and the awarding of long service certificates to volunteers. Volunteer Ken Birch was recognised for work he has done at the charity for 37 years and received a long-service volunteer award at a volunteer celebration event at the Corn Exchange, hosted by Oxfordshire Community and Voluntary Action. The charity connects people with volunteers who drive, befriend and help with practical tasks like shopping and gardening. Sophie Law who started volunteering during the pandemic and befriended a lady down her street, said, I have a close-knit family and a lovely friendship group, and I hate the idea of people being lonely, and especially people being lonely 10 metres from my door. If I can just hook up with one person, have a chat with them and a cup of tea, it's no bother. It's a wonderful thing to do, and it has benefited both of us, and I can't imagine not doing it again now. I would recommend it to anyone. Jean Tompkins started volunteering 17 years ago when her husband died. She said, many clients are quiet in the car going to the hospital, but when they come out, they'll chat for England. The relief is there. The face that they knew is standing there with the car car door open for them. You can see the relief drop out of some people and you think, yep, this is why I do it. Adrian Phillips is a volunteer driver and has found volunteering has helped his own mental health. Over the years that I've volunteered, I've gotten just as much out of it as the people that I've helped transport, take out for shopping and collect prescriptions for, he said. Volunteer Link-Up can also offer advice about working with volunteers to other organisations. Manager Barry Beadle said... Volunteers play a vital role in our organisation. Volunteers Week and the Month of Community are great opportunities for us to say thank you and celebrate the fantastic contribution our volunteers make in the community. If you would like to volunteer, visit vlu.org.uk or call 01993 776 or volunteer link-up on Facebook and Instagram to find out how you can make a difference to the local community.
3: The music's well and truly over for festival-goers in West Oxfordshire. The Whitney Gazette headlines the story Cornbury Reaches End in Fabulous Final Fling. For almost two decades, Cornbury Festival has brought some of the world's biggest stars to the Oxfordshire countryside, but now... The lights have gone down on its stages for the very last time. Up to 20,000 people enjoyed spectacular weather and a strong lineup of pop, rock and soul and acoustic artists at the final instalment of a three-day feast of music at Great Tew near Chipping Norton. Highlights included headline sets by James Blunt and Brian Adams, and Sunday's shows by Boyzone star Ronan Keating and Jules Holland's Rhythm and Blues Orchestra. There were also standout performances by exuberant rockers The Darkness and folk rockers The Waterboys. There was a strong lineup of Ox- Oxfordshire bands on the festival's riverside stage, organised by the team behind Charlesbury's F- Charlesbury's Free Riverside Festival. Oxford DJ Count Skylarkin kept punters dancing at his disco shed, a garden shed kitted out with record decks and speakers, and also at late-night sessions in the campsite bar. Over the past 17 years, Cornbury has been a high point of the festival calendar, attracting the likes of Paul Simon, Amy Winehouse, Led Zeppelin's Robert Plant, Tom Jones and the Beach Boys. But the event has reached the end of the road. A result of financial pressures and the loss of its site at Great Tew Park. Festival director Hugh Fillmore said it had been a fun, if emotional, weekend. He said, It is a strange feeling to be doing this for the last time, but the sun is shining and the music has been great, so I can't complain. Despite its continually strong lineup, the festival has repeatedly made a loss. Mr. Fillimore had previously tried to wind up the festival in, in 2017, but he brought it back a year later following pressure from backers and supporters. However, with the lease up on the site, he insisted this was the right time to quit. He said, We have a special team in a special place, but I think it's time to call it a day. They don't really want us here anymore. It is also a headache to balance the books. While everyone here enjoys it, It's me who has to go and talk to the bank manager the next day. We've had some amazing times, but I need to calm down and stop.
4: Tribute paid to bubbly and kind son after inquest. A mother has paid tribute to her bubbly and kind son after he tragically killed himself. An inquest into the death of Devon Wright, a roofer from Whitney ruled that the 22-year-old committed suicide after falling from a bridge on the A40. Mr Wright had been to the Cheltenham Festival on March 17th. With the inquest hearing, he then went drinking with friends in Whitney before leaving the Rush Sports Bar shortly after midnight. The police officer leading the investigation into Mr Wright's death said CCTV showed him running away from Whitney Town Centre after leaving Rush and towards the bridge. Nothing suggested there had been a falling out with anybody, the officer reported, and there was nothing to suggest anybody else was involved in Mr Wright's death. Mr Wright's body was discovered by motorists on the eastbound carriageway of the A40, with P.C. Mahoney, an on-duty road traffic officer from Bister, attending the scene. It was clear he had been struck by a vehicle as the injuries didn't match up with a fall alone, said P.C. Mahoney. The inquest heard that first a car driver, shortly followed by a lorry, stopped their vehicles in the left lane of the two-lane carriageway after spotting Mr. Wright in the right-hand lane. With both vehicles stationary in the left lane, the driver of a Thames water tanker then approached the scene. All three motorists described the area as poorly lit, with the tanker driver's statement read out at the inquest, saying he checked his mirrors before moving into the right lane in order to get round the car and lorry, which were at a standstill. It happened very quickly. I tried to swerve away and I think I hit his head. I was shaken up and shocked, the tanker driver's statement read. Mr Wright's mother, Michelle, described her son as a bubbly and kind person. A statement read out at the inquest added, He was hard working and loved his job. He had a holiday with his friends booked and had a lot to look forward to. On the night of his death, Mr Wright had a two-minute phone conversation with his mum while he was at Rush, telling her he had enjoyed his day at Cheltenham and would tell her all about it when he got home. Dr Eve Fryer, the pathologist who conducted the post-mortem on Mr Wright, said he had a history of depression which had got significantly worse over the 12 months before his death and that he had been removed from a bridge on the A40 on Christmas Eve last year. Joanna Coleman, assistant coroner, ruled a verdict of suicide.
1: Did you go to Whitney Grammar School in 1961? Did you start at Whitney Grammar School in September 1961? Your old classmates are trying to reach you. Members of Class 1F and 1G at Whitney Grammar School... Now the Henry Box School have held a reunion every five years since 1990. <clears throat> However, due to the COVID pandemic, the 2020 reunion had to be postponed, as did one in 2021. Now the organisers are hopeful that this year's, on Sunday the 2nd of October 2022, will go ahead. Peter Cantwell said. 13th September 1961 was a fateful day for members of Class 1F and 1G at Whitney Grammar School as they gathered for the first time following their success in passing the 11-plus exam, exam earlier that year. Under the watchful eye of headmaster BHC Robinson, affectionately known as the Boss, they commenced their secondary education with much trepidation, since then, those former pupils have made their own way through life, but from 1990 have paused for a five-yearly reunion with their erstwhile classmates to reminisce about their school days at WGS. The joint organisers of the event are 1F student Vicky Jack, Nay Smith, and Mr Cantwell for 1G. He said, There are still a few of our old classmates who we haven't tracked down. So if you're one of those who started at Whitney Grammar School in September 1961 or joined that year or that year group later, please contact us for more details of the get-together. Vicky can be reached at vickyjack702 at gmail.com and peter at petercantwell2002 at yahoo.co.uk. Two more
2: pieces of news in brief. Man carried two machetes in public. A man, aged 37, has been charged for allegedly carrying two machetes and cannabis in a public space. Graham Oliver, of Burford Road, Blackborton, near Bampton, was allegedly caught with the machetes in Stockport, Greater Manchester, last Friday. He was stopped on the A34 Kingsway by Greater Manchester Police and was also charged with possession of a controlled Class B drug. He is now due to stand trial at Manchester and Salford Magistrates Court on Monday, October the 17th. Oliver remains on unconditional bail until the trial, which means he does not have to remain in prison while awaiting the court case and has no further restrictions placed upon him. The second item is headed, Teens Assault Arrests. Two teenagers have been arrested in connection with an assault of three men outside an Oxford nightclub. A 19-year-old man from Upper Rissington, Gloucestershire, was arrested on suspicion of inflicting grievous bodily harm with intent, while a second man, also aged 19 and from Chipping Norton, was arrested on suspicion of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. The arrests relate to an incident outside Hanks in Queen Street, on June the 25th which saw three 20-year-old men assaulted The arrested men have since been released on conditional police bail while investigations continue Thames Valley Police reported
3: Men face 66 years in jail for flooding the region with drugs Five men have been sentenced to a total of more than 66 years in prison after being convicted for drug supply offences across the Thames Valley Among them were three men from Oxfordshire, including 44-year-old Patrick Gray of Radford Close, Oxford, who was found guilty of conspiring to supply cocaine. Lewis Court, 37, of Cudston Way, Oxford, and 33-year-old Richard Gray of Barley Court, Whitney, earlier pleaded guilty to the same offence. Thames Valley Police's Serious and Organised Crime Unit launched Operation Sedate into the organised crime group run by brothers Richard and Patrick Gray. Between March 31st 2020 and May twenty six last year, the defendants conspired to supply large quantities of drugs across the Thames Valley and Wiltshire. The investigation that followed identified that Richard Gray and others travelled to Lancashire to purchase drugs. These were then returned to Oxfordshire, where they were stored at the home addresses of other members of the gang and at a rural farm location. While at these locations, the drugs were prepared to be sold on to customers across Oxfordshire, Buckinghamshire and Wiltshire. Following the execution of warrants in May 2021, more than 2.8 kilos of cocaine and 18.3 grams of crack cocaine were recovered, along with cash totaling more than £158,000. In total, the group was sentenced to 66 years and four months in prison. Muhammad Ali, 50, of Cherville, Milton Keynes, was found guilty of conspiring to supply cocaine following the trial at Oxford Crown Court with 36-year-old William White of no fixed abode pleading guilty to the same offence. Returning to the same court, Richard and Patrick Gray were sentenced to 21 and 18 years' imprisonment, respectively. Ali was sentenced to 12 years, while Court and White both received seven years and eight months. Mm-hmm. Investigating Officer Detective Constable Gavin Tony, a member of the Serious Organised Crime Unit, said... The sentences passed down to these men marks the end of a significant intelligence-led investigation. This was a very significant drug supply network, and those convicted brought large quantities of Class A drugs into the Thames Valley with the intention of flooding the area with them. We will never tolerate the production and supply of drugs in our communities. They cause untold harm, particularly to those who are vulnerable and tackling this type of criminal, criminality remains one of the Thames Valley Police's top priorities. Five major figures involved in the supply of Class A drugs have now been brought to justice and they will be unable to bring harm to our communities for many years to come.
4: Care Home resident, 98, showcases flair for art in exhibition. A 98-year-old Whitney Care home resident showcased his art skills in a very special exhibition. Breathtaking paintings of landscapes created by John Holt, a resident at Care UK's Millers Grange on Kerbridge Road, were displayed in the home's Lounge as part of a special art exhibition for family and friends art enthusiast Mr Holt admitted he had never had an interest for art-related activities growing up and worked as an accountant before retiring in 1989. Starting with a blank slate, he began attending art classes in Whitney College in 1990 and thoroughly enjoyed learning about painting, taking bottles, silks and other art materials to the class and finishing pieces in his own time. One of his highlights was painting a model dressed as a butcher as part of the still life class. He said, I love painting. I especially enjoy mixing the paints on a palette to get the exact colour for each part of the painting. I really love looking at my paintings every day. Home manager Alison Parry added, We were delighted to showcase John's artistic talents for residents and relatives to marvel at. Art is a wonderful way for residents to express their feelings and showcase their artistic flair.
1: Action for a safer Chipping Norton. March and May town hall meetings saw many issues raised about safety and traffic improvements in Chipping Norton. Oxfordshire County Council's cabinet member Duncan Enright, our county councillor Jeff Saul and town councillors heard it all. So what action since? On HGVs, Councillor Enright has now clearly stated that he is committed to a plan to take HGVs off the whole A44 corridor, i.e. through all towns such as Woodstock, Chippy and Morton. This idea was in fact accepted by Oxfordshire County Council years back after passionate campaigning by a local A44 action group, but was then shelved. The plan could work, but needs much collaboration and national agreement. Meanwhile, the rowright stones route is being branded as just too difficult. Progress is awaited, but don't hold your breath. Road safety measures could now gain momentum. <coughs> chipping Norton Town Council are behind the Oxfordshire County Council's new priorities for safer towns, much more friendly <coughs> for pedestrians, cyclists and even motorists. Live discussions, including visits from county engineers, are looking at changes both at the top of and further further down New Street, pavements in horse a safer crossing at Albion Street, London Road, safer walking routes and more. Making Chippy a 20-mile-an-hour town. In June, town councillors agreed to, to join a new Oxfordshire County Council scheme, which could extend our limited 20 mile an hour zone funded by the Town Council over three years back. The zone could expand beyond schools along Churchill Road, London Road and Burford Road, something parents support. But extra speed reduction measures, such as gating or bumps, might be needed on the main roads. Oxfordshire County Council say the Town Council needs to conduct a resident survey on the 20 mile. 20-mile-an-hour town idea. It's also unclear what exactly Oxfordshire County Council would fund. Enforcing speed limits. Police provide little resource for enforcing town speed limits. New Town town Councillor Steve Akers has already initiated a campaign to report to Oxfordshire County Council all damaged or worn out 30-mile-an-hour and 40 mile an hour speed limit signs, other warning signs and bollards, an action has started. Equally important, community speed watch groups need organising. A new street group started theirs three years back, and have a portable SID, speed device, which records vehicle registrations and flashes speeds. But it needs an updated system to connect this to police data and driver warnings. Volunteers rather than money is the key. Residents in Churchill Road, over Norton Road and others could be interested and Councillor Acres is keen to pursue this. County Council keen to help. The funding of town safety measures is an issue. A recent Oxfordshire County Council announcement talked of £10.4 million for active travel improvements countywide. Oxfordshire County Council and West Oxfordshire District Council's Councillor Enright spoke of exciting opportunities in our beloved city and market towns. The statement included £2 million to improve Whitney High Street. The news asked Councillor Enright about money for Chipping Norton and he said the Town Council would need to put schemes forward for future funding tranches. Chippy Town Councillor Mark Waller, Mark Walker is championing many of these proposals and welcomed the recent focus of the new County Council leadership, saying they were keen to help resolve the traffic issues that have made Chipping Norton dangerous, especially for pedestrians. He looked forward to working together to make Chippy a much more walking-friendly town.
0: Well, now it's time for this week's Editor's Contribution, and I suspect that... All of you have got vivid remem- memories of your very first day at school, but I hope that they aren't as traumatic as the two now described by the le- the school's inspector Gervase Finn, firstly, a boy named John that morning, my face and neck had been scrubbed so hard by my mother they smarted. My father had taken me to the barber's shop on Saturday to have my thatch of ginger hair cut for short back and sides and a lot off the top and as I stared in disbelief in the mirror my head looked like a coconut. I was wearing a clean shirt and underpants in case as my mother pointed out I had an accident and a new knitted grey pullover and short trousers the ones that you grow into, held up by an elastic belt with a snake clip. I already had tears in my eyes as my mother and I approached the huge blackened stone building with a tower and turrets and shiny grey slate's roof and windows like shining eyes. Surrounding the playground was a high black iron gate and full black "'Iron railings with spikes on the top. "'Perhaps these were meant to keep the children in, "'to stop them running away. "'Don't leave me!' I whispered to my mother, "'clutching her arm tightly. "'Now, come on, John,' she said gently. "'You've got to go in. You've got to go in school. "'You're a big boy now.' "'At that moment, shaking with fear, "'I knew I didn't want to be a big boy.' I wanted to stay small forever. And the second description is of a girl named Elizabeth. A very different experience. We had to line up in the playground, hands by our side, stand up straight. We were told not to speak but to listen. We were wide-eyed and frightened as the teacher, Miss Bull, a severe-faced woman with steely grey hair, scraped back savagely on the scalp and into a tiny bun. Glittery, gimlet eyes and the look of a gorgon examined us over the top of those steel-framed spectacles as if we were some strange specimens in a museum case. She was like the wicked witch in the fairy tale my mother had read to me. I was so terrified of this ferocious-looking figure in black that I wet my knickers. In the classroom, Miss Bull puffed and huffed and shook her head, and I was told to remove the knickers and place them on the stove to dry. The room was soon filled with the most noxious smell, of which the teacher seemed oblivious, but my classmates weren't. The other children giggled, and Miss Bull whacked her desk with a ruler and bellowed for everyone to be quiet. At playtime, two boys in the class shouted, Lizzie Smellynickers! Lizzie Smellynickers! I sat on the low stone wall and cried and prayed for the time I could leave this horrid place. Later at home, when I told my mother what had happened, her face became flushed with anger. The next morning, she came with me to the school, pushed open the black iron gates, and marched across the playground with me in tow. She cornered Miss Bull in the classroom, and stabbing a finger in her face, warned her that if she ever did such a th- cruel thing again she would wring her ugly wrinkled neck miss bull looked so scared my mother told my father that evening that it's no a wonder she didn't wet her knickers <laughs> I hope your experiences were better than that. <laughs> I'm
3: to, to Go through the whole of her life. Yeah. Busy Yeah. yeah. Oh, hmm. Right,
0: and now it's uh, time for this week's notice board, if I can find it. Ah, Here we go. And uh, first of all, um, most of you by now should have received and listened to the copy of our Jubilee magazine. And we'd be so grateful if you've got any comments to make that you'd let us have them in your pouches because it's by that sort of feedback that we know what you like and what you don't like and what we can do again. Now, what about birthdays? In the coming week, there are, on the 14th of July, that's today, Barbara Hedland from Ducklington and, on the 18th of July... Mrs. Rosemary Colback from Milton under Witchwood. And we both hope that the both of you have splendid days and that they are really enjoyable. And, of course, that brings us on to the quizzes. And we begin, as usual, with the answers to last week's quiz. Um, And the quiz last week was all about royalty. And the first question was... Oh, beg your pardon, it's not, <laughs> not about royalty, I, I, I misread this. Um, they're all about political crisis that we're in at the moment. Oh, how topical. Right, here we go, the first one. Boris is not Mr Johnson's first name. What is it? Any ideas? <laughs> Alexander. Alexander, <laughs> yeah. Question two. Amid all the resignations on Wednesday, one minister managed to be sacked. Who was it? Gov. Michael Gove, everybody knows that. <laughs> question three Mr. Johnson was the MP for Henley in Oxfordshire from 2008 to 2018. Where is his current constituency? Ashbridge is right, yes. And question four. Who was Prime Minister immediately prior to Mr Johnson succeeding to the role? Theresa Theresa. May. And finally, question five. Mr Johnson famously attended Eton School, but which Oxford University College did he also attend? Bailey. Bailey is correct. So that brings us on to this week's questions, which are a rather varied assortment and the first question is what was the capital of Russia before Moscow Saint uh, <laughs> 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 answers next week if you don't want <laughs> you've all got one right this week <laughs> question two what is a group or flock of sparrows called Question three. Which gift did the Americans receive from the French in 1886? Question four. Which of the seven wonders of the ancient world survives today? And finally, which medieval body was set up at the Geneva Convention in 1864. Sorry, which medical body was set up by the Geneva Convention in 1864? And the answers to all of those will be next week. Now, there are one or two things, noticeboard-wise, that uh, you might be interested in. First of all, I've got an advert here for Ducklington Show. The West Oxfordshire Steam and Vintage Show will be at Ducklington off the A40 uh, in Whitney on the 16th and 17th of July from 10am to 5pm. There'll be a variety of stalls, there'll be traction engines, there'll be steam and there'll be all sorts of other things for you to enjoy. The entrance for adults is £10 and a family ticket is £25 so Ducklington show the weather looks as if it's going to be brilliant for it and I think there's a local air show that you're probably all going to hear whizzing overhead uh, during the course of the, uh, of the weekend and finally we announce the deaths that are reported in the paper this week and we're sorry to announce the following deaths firstly uh, on the 21st of July Karen Louise Smith aged 49, of Langford. On the 22nd of June, Christopher, sorry, Christine Molly Hooper, aged 90. On the 29th of June, Charles Dennis Corney, aged 95, of Burford. On the 1st of July, Thomas Allen Sandals, aged 77. And on the 12th of July, Carol Anne Wilcox of Richmond Village in Whitney. And finally, Roger Barnes, aged 72, of Ducklington. And of course, our sincere condolences to all family and friends of the deceased.
2: Making Chippy pesticide-free. In May, Chipping Norton Town Council's Community Committee approved a new three-year strategy towards making Chippy a pesticide-free town a residents' letter last year about use of glyphos, glyphosate, glyphosate, glyphosate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought I had Um As a chemical weed killer on their recreation ground, was one trigger to take a careful look at the issues. Deputy Mayor Rachel Folks said that the two main concerns with such pesticides were loss of biodiversity, making ecosystems more vulnerable to pollution and climate change and potential health problems with contact. Several European countries are introducing bans, but currently the UK's Health and Safety Executive says that chemicals such as gly- glyphosate, <laughs> I'm
5: trying mm. to say something else.
2: <laughs> <laughs> as such as remain effective and safe if used properly. Agricultural and domestic garden use remain quite popular, with supplies readily sold at local garden centers and hardware stores. The Town Council has, following their 2020 commitment to dealing with a climate emergency, worked with Pesticide Action Network, PAN-UK, to put together a meaningful plan to implement over three years. Other local councils are doing the same. This includes reducing and ultimately ending the use of pesticides on council-managed land, bringing in other local stakeholders to follow suit and finding ways to encourage residents to adopt a pesticide-free approach at home. Mayor and Committee Chair Councillor Sandra Coleman strongly supports the move as good for the health of our children and improving biodiversity and soil quality. I look forward to seeing a greater variety of wildflowers in our open spaces and learning to identify them.
3: Uh, Headline in the Witten Gazette is Cottage at Risk ...is part of our disappearing heritage. Neighbours are dismayed that one of a fast disappearing number of cottages... ...remaining in their town is slated for demolition. Carlton residents say Brooklyn Nurseries at 65 Shilton Road... ...is part of the town's heritage and should be preserved. Christchurch Homes has applied for permission to carry out the demolition... ...scheduled for July the 11th. <clears throat> Commenting on West Oxfordshire District Council's planning portal, historian Julie Ann Godson described it as what's left of one particular family smallholding that epitomises Carton's fascinating past. And she put out a plea on social media. Urgent, you may recall the peril in which this little cottage in Carton finds itself. I hope my account of its place in the history of the town will persuade you to comment by 1st of July on its proposed demolition she explained that Carston was founded as a colony of smallholders soon after 1900 by speculator William Carter who bought estates in several counties in order to attract people back to the land in 1908 John Jones Tims acquired this plot in Shilton Road and began to collect stone by hand to build a home and business for his new family by the second world war The nursery was known as Brooklands and was still run by Mr Timms. He died in 1944, and from the 1970s, Jack and his wife Peggy were running the nursery. She said a family member spent years maintaining the cottage. She said its significance within the landscape of a new town should be recognised and its part in Carton's heritage preserved. Another local... Nicola Benham commented that as a small child in the 1970s, she remembered going to buy tomatoes with my mother from one of the many bungalows with swathes of greenhouses behind them. I knew children too that lived in one of the original unique wooden bungalows on Alverscott Road. Sadly, all gone now. And responding to Ms Goodson's plea, members of the Carson Community Facebook group agreed that Carson's history was being erased. Mark Sonley said, "'Looks like another bit of Carlton history about to be erased forever. Seems a bit of a shame as it's one of the few, quote, "'old, unquote, buildings we have left.'" While Amanda Jane Hughes remembered, "'Ironically, when I was little, "'there were also, there were also only a few houses opposite this house on Shilton Road. "'My mum tells me that they were mostly tin houses.'" but now they have all gone and even a few cul-de-sacs branched off into the old backyards have been developed into mini-estates. And Amanda Gretton said, This building is one of the original Carston houses and tomato businesses. It's about time our Town Council and West Oxford District Council respected Carston's heritage. Unfortunately, there are only a few old Carston families left. Christchurch Homes were approached for comment.
4: Council must pick up £16,000 court bill. Taxpayers must pick up the tab for a trading standards bungle compounded by council lawyers digging in their holes. Oxfordshire County Council asked Judge Michael Gledhill, QC, at a behind closed doors in January for a restraint order preventing properties linked to illegal tobacco salesman, Jakek Mazurek, from being sold. They believe the 48-year-old, who was jailed for 28 months in 2020 for selling illicit cigarettes and tobacco, had an interest in a property in Huddersfield and the shop in Whitney's Corn Street, from which the illegal booty was traded. Judge Gledhill granted the order, applied for ex parte, meaning Masarek or others with an interest in the properties, were not informed before the hearing. But it was later revealed information relied on to obtain the order was plainly wrong. The counsel had claimed Masarek owned a share in a property in Halifax Road, Huddersfield. In fact, he sold his share in 2017, which would have been discovered on a land registry check. Trading Standards also claimed to have intelligence that Mazurek was trying to sell the Corn Street shop. Again, that was wrong. Solicitors acting for the legal aid agency had tried to secure a £255 charge on the property to ensure the shop owner repaid his legal aid contributions. Judge Gledhill told Oxford Crown Court last week the information on which the council's application in January was based was not only wrong but was misleading. The financial investigator did not cover himself in glory and had I known that I what I subsequently learned as to the true situation and the correct facts I would not have granted that order he added. Lawyers for Mazarek and two others with interest in the properties contacted the council at the start of the year to get the order lifted. But when errors were pointed out, the council's response was to dig in its holes, Judge Gledhill said. The situation was not helped by the intemperate language of Mazareks solicitors in correspondence with the council. The council then did nothing when Mazarek and the others offered to sign legally binding undertakings not to dissipate the properties. Lawyers for Trading Standards only accepted the undertakings and agreed to the lifting of the restraint order after a full day of legal argument at the Crown Court in February. Judge Gledhill said, That hearing and the preparation for that hearing was completely unnecessary. If the parties had been liaising in a professional manner, the undertakings would have been signed, given to the prosecution long before the hearing, and the prosecution would have happily discharged the restraint order, or they should have done. The judge ordered the counsel pay £16,020 in wasted costs to Mazarek and the two third parties. He also ordered that Maseric pay the council £100,000 as proceeds of his criminal enterprise, then ordered the former cigarette merchant pay a further £15,000 in prosecution costs.
1: Alistair keeps haven for birds flying high. Cotswold avian attraction Birdland is a popular attraction but also plays a key role in the conservation of bird life. The zoo in Bourton on the water exists to raise awareness of the sure variety and attributes of birds and to highlight the many species which, without help and support, are in danger of becoming extinct. It is an all-year-round operation, and a key cog in keeping the attraction flying high is the work of headkeeper Alistair, Alistair Keane and his team. In a colourful career spanning 30, 20 years, at the Cotswolds' attraction, his memorable moments include teaching a baby penguin to swim, removing removing huge poplar trees which came down in a storm, and delivering bird food on a sledge following heavy snowfall. Not all days are so dramatic, but for the animal biology graduate, he relishes the responsibility. Pointing to the river Windrush behind him, which runs straight through the heart of the bird park, He said, I'm very lucky to be able to call this my office every day. It's a fantastic job which has its challenges, but I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. I've always wanted to work with animals, but I didn't know in what capacity. When I came home after graduating from Birmingham University, I saw an advert for a job here in the local paper, and I was lucky enough to get it. Alistair said, he fell into the job of head keeper, a case of right place, right time, when the previous incumbent left the the attraction, which celebrates its 65th birthday this year. A typical day starts at 7.30am, when a sweep of all the residents is undertaken to make sure they are in good health, particularly the cold-susceptible birds, which are kept inside during the winter months. Alistair is no stranger to being in the spotlight, having flown out to Argentina to compete in BBC's show Total Wipeout, as well as entering other game shows such as Tipping Point. He made the headlines in 2015 when he hand-reared a King Penguin at the Borton on the Water attraction. The chick, which was named Charlotte in honour of the royal baby born at that time, was initially terrified of getting her feathers wet, so Alistair sported a snorkel and submerged himself in the pool to encourage her to do the same. I know penguins can't fly, but she was making a pretty good attempt in her bid to avoid taking the plunge. In the wild, the chicks only learned to swim by following their parents into the water. So I, as her adopted dad, felt obliged to get in and try and show her how it was done. Birdland has among its penguin po- population a film star in Seth, who appeared in blockbuster film Batman Returns. He is part of the Penguin's Army, which tries to take over Gotham City and can be seen in several scenes, swimming around and at one point wearing a rocket launcher.
2: Seth, who hatched as an imported egg in 1985, is now the oldest male king penguin in Europe, Asia or Australia. King penguins live to around 18 years of age in the wild, but at Birdland there is food, a vet, and no orcas. Spike is another famous resident who has 14,000 followers on Facebook, after featuring in the advert for penguin biscuits. He recently turned 15. Birdland is the only attraction in England which houses kings, which are the second largest species in the world after the emperor penguin. Daily talks take place on penguins, flamingos and parrots. And a Meet the Keeper session also enables visitors to handle animals, birds and creepy crawlies, something that wasn't possible during the COVID pandemic. Alistair added, we're doing more and more educational stuff. 20 years ago, we did one penguin talk a day. Now we're doing up to six talks so people can go home enthusiastic about penguins and flamingos or the fact that they held an owl. We've got to do our job no matter what the conditions are. Around 2008, when I lived on site, the weather was so bad nobody else could get in, so I took food around on the sledge and my girlfriend helped me to catch the birds in the aviary. One vital job each day is to chop up an impressive array of fruit and vegetables for the following day's feeds. Apples, tomatoes, bananas, grapes steamed carrots, potatoes, broccoli and turnip. Apple is in plentiful supply so we use a lot of it but sometimes birds can get bored with certain foods so we give them something else. We try to vary their diets as much as we can. Once the animals are fed and watered another important task for the keepers is to wash up the food dishes with 120 species of birds to cater for it's no small job and all the keepers take a turn at doing their duty. The flamingo sheds also need regular cleaning because they make a lot of mess when they've been inside overnight. Birdland is in Bourton on the water and it is open every day throughout the year from 10 to 5pm during the summer months.
3: Brief sport just a couple of weeks before the new football league season kicks off. Hosts turn up the heat on Oxford United. The bosses of North Lee and Banbury United were pleased to see their sides make Oxford United sweat in scorching pre-season temperatures. Both non-league clubs produced strong performances on Saturday against starting 11s that featured several first-team players. Late goals from Matty Taylor and Marcus Brown gave United a 3-1 victory over North Lee in part one of the doubleheader, before Banbury pushed the Football League opponents all the way in a 2-1 defeat.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for, so please remove the memory stick from your playback unit and close that metal shield. And do remember to reverse the address label on your yellow pouch before you post it back to us. Could you please do that as soon as possible, because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. And remember that if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouches and we'll get back to you. Now, it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette and the Chipping Norton News for the stories we've used tonight. And thanks also to our technical expert, Rob Oxpring. To our copiers, Ian Rose and Mike Herbert, who are copying the memory sticks, and to our volunteers who have been checking the pouches and the memory sticks you've returned and keeping records in our register. And they, this evening, were Jan Butler and Teresa Hayes. And finally, our four readers, that's Peter, Francis, Michael and Jill. And I know we'd all like to say goodbye, and so, until our next edition... Goodbye! Thank you all.
4: nf soundings. Features from across the UK
5: Hello, this is Val from Otley Talking News with my selection of audio described TV programmes for the week beginning Saturday the sixteenth to Friday the twenty second of july twenty twenty two. This week, live coverage of the Women's Euro 2022 football continues on BBC One and BBC Two, which may disrupt some programmes on those channels. So we start with Saturday the 16th of July. Jeremy Pang's Asian Kitchen is on ITV at 11.35am. The chef creates recipes for romantic meals, including sticky toffee pudding. A repeat of Rick Stein's India is at 12 noon on BBC 2. This week, The Chef is in Mumbai. In for a Penny is on ITV at 5pm. Stephen Mulhern offers the residents of York the chance to play for anything from a tank of petrol to £1,000 in the travelling game show. A new series of Superman and Lois starts on BBC one at five twenty five pm in this opening double bill, Lois and Clark struggle as a couple while Chrissy adjusts to running the Smallville Gazette with Lois. This is the Radio Times pick of the day on BBC two at six pm in Ocean Giants, cameramen Doug Allen and Enraro capture dramatic footage of humpback whales and 200-tonne blue whales. This is followed by the comedy Dad's Army at 7pm on BBC2. Captain Mannering acquires a small boat through the bank and sets up a practice session for wreaking havoc on the enemy. On Channel 4 at 7pm, this week's episode of Lost Treasures of Rome is Nero's Lost Palace. Archaeologists try to learn more about the Golden House, a vast palace built in the 1st century AD and buried beneath Rome. The evening film on ITV at 8pm is A View to Kill. James Bond is on the trail of industrialist Max Zorin after a duplicate of a top-secret British microchip is discovered. A Royal Guide to Weddings is on Channel 4 at 8pm. A former Royal Press Secretary explains what it takes to plan a lavish event, plus how disaster struck on the morning of the Queen's wedding to Prince Philip. Casualty is on BBC One at 8.45pm. David searches for answers when he fears he's the target of an explosion. But is he ready to know the truth about Ollie? The late night film on ITV at ten fifty PM is the action crime caper Ocean's eleven starring George Clooney and Brad Pitt. Super cool crook Danny Ocean has only just been released from prison, but is already planning his next job. And now on to Sunday the seventeenth of july. Ainsley's Food We Love is on ITV at 9.55am, featuring recipes perfect for alfresco dining. Midsummer Murders is on ITV at 1.15pm. When the corpse of landowner Gregory Lancaster vanishes on the night of his death, a macabre world of body-snatching is brought to light. The comedy Crocodile Dundee 2 is on film 4 at 1.40pm. Mick Dundee has to rescue his girlfriend from kidnappers. Or over on ITV at 4.15pm there's another Bond film from Russia with Love. Call the Midwife is on the Drama Channel at 6.40pm. The Institute's new screening clinic uncovers a rare condition in a woman who's about to be married. The Radio Times pick of the day is a new crime drama, Murder in Provence, starring Roger Allam and Nancy Carroll. Antoine and Marine put their weekend getaway on hold when there's a murder at the local university. Their investigation reveals layer upon layer of criminality. This is on ITV at 8pm. A new three-part thriller starts tonight at 9pm on BBC One. An emergency call handler's world is turned upside down when he receives a desperate call from a woman who appears to know him. Parts 2 and 3 are at the same time on Monday and Tuesday. Paul Hollywood Eats Mexico is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Paul samples unusual Mexican staples including fresh cactus and insects. Now for those daytime programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. A new series Close Calls on camera is at 10am. Animal Park is at 10.30. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15, Bargain Hunt is at 12.15, Countryside Summer is at 2.30 and Escape to the Country is at 3pm. All these programmes are on BBC One Monday to Friday. Dickinson's Biggest and Best Deals is on ITV at 2pm Monday to Friday. Series 4 of Downton Abbey is on ITV3 each day at 5.20 on Monday, 6 p.m Tuesday, 5.55 p.m Wednesday and 6 p.m Thursday and Friday. Also on ITV3, Heartbeat is at 7 p.m each day, Monday to Friday. And Great American Railway Journeys is on BBC4 at 7pm Monday to Thursday. So now on to Monday the 18th of July. On Channel 4 at 8pm, Food Unwrapped's Sweet Feast. Tonight's programme explores the popularity of sour sweets, the secret to slow-melting ice cream and why some jams are runnier than others. Endeavour is on ITV3 at 8pm. Morse meets his intellectual match when a serial killer haunting the streets of Oxford keeps himself one step ahead of the law and leaves cryptic messages. Extraordinary Portraits is on BBC1 at 8.30pm. Overcoming adversity ignited an instant connection as Scottish contemporary portrait painter Ross Muir depicts the strength and hope he sees in Jamie, a young man who grew up in care. Three choices at 9pm. Part 2 of The Control Room continues on BBC One. Long lost family special, The Unknown Soldiers, is on ITV. Savina McCall and Nikki Campbell follow the never-ending task of identifying missing World War I soldiers and tracing their families. And over on Channel 4 at 9, 24 hours in A&E, Savita and her five-year-old son Rylan are rushed to St George's after being hit by a car. Savita's husband talks about the sacrifices they made as a family, while Savita was working as a nurse in intensive care during the pandemic. The Radio Times Pick of the Day is a new documentary series on Channel 4 at 10pm, Super Surgeons, A Chance at Life. Filmed across a year at the Royal Marsden Hospital, this series explores the pioneering operations surgeons are performing on people affected by cancer. On to Tuesday the nineteenth of july, another chance to see Digging for Britain the Greatest Discoveries on BBC four at seven thirty PM. Professor Alice Roberts re examines key archaeological sites of prehistoric Britain. Parts two and three are at the same time on Wednesday and Thursday. The final part of Freddie Flintoff's Field of Dreams is on BBC One at 8pm. Freddie tries to motivate his new cricket team in readiness for a match against players from a private school. Over on BBC Two at 8pm, a new series of Mountain Vets following the busy vets operating between the Kingdom of Mourn and the Nine Glens of Antrim in Northern Ireland. Several choices at nine o'clock tonight. The final episode of The Control Room is on BBC One. The concluding part of Lenny Henry's Caribbean Britain is on BBC Two. Lenny explores how he and other second- and third-generation British-born Caribbean youngsters meshed their identity with their art. The documentary Night Coppers continues on Channel 4. In tonight's programme, Brighton's night patrol have to deal with being assaulted while trying to arrest a man for assault and grappling with a person wielding a knife. Over on more 4 at 9pm, Darcy Bustle's Royal Road Trip starts. The ballet star travels across the country to visit some of the locations where the Queen has formed fond memories. This is the Radio Times pick of the day. The comedy Two Doors Down is on BBC Two at 10pm. Michelle invites Beth, Cathy and Christine over for a girls' night in but when Beth jokes about one of Christine's habits, things turn tense. On Channel 4, also at 10pm, Britain's Tourette mystery, Scarlet Moffat, investigates. A new documentary which investigates a reported increase in cases of Tourette syndrome among teenagers. Now on to Wednesday the 20th of July. Mountain Vets continues on BBC 2 at 8pm. It's the weekend shift in the glens of Antrim for on-call vet Rosalind and her daughter Emily, who is training to be a vet. In Rise of the Continents at 8pm on BBC 4, Professor Ian Stewart looks at underwater evidence which predicts that over the next 50 million years, Australia will collide with Asia. Again several choices at nine o'clock. The documentary Unvaccinated is on BBC Two. Despite volume upon volume of positive data and in excess of 197,000 deaths from Covid in the UK alone, More than 5 million British adults have yet to receive a single dose of any of the COVID-19 vaccines. Professor Hannah Fry sets out to discover why. Heathrow, Britain's busiest airport, returns for a new series tonight on ITV. The cameras return to Heathrow to look behind the check-in desks once more. George Clarke's Remarkable Renovations is on Channel 4. In Brighton, George meets James, who bought a former glassworks, with grand plans to painstakingly restore the property, but will a budget of half a million pounds ensure that his uncompromising vision lives up to his high expectations? And on More 4 at 9 tonight. Grace Kelly, Lost Tapes of a Princess. This film tells the life story of Grace Kelly through the eyes of those closest to her. In the drama Maryland, two women who share the same name, Mary, and are both victims of sexual assault, meet for the first time at a police station and encounter two less-than-helpful PCs. This is on BBC Two at 5 past 10. On to Thursday the 21st of July. The screwball comedy film His Girl Friday is on film four at 2.30pm, starring Cary Grant. A newspaper editor will go to any lengths to win back his ex-wife and best reporter. Nadia Bakes is on BBC Two at 7pm. Nadia shows how to create delicious items on a budget. A new series of The Supervet, Noel Fitzpatrick, starts tonight at 8pm on Channel 4. One-year-old Shepherd Doodle Raven is assessed for possible total hip replacement for both back legs. Vera is on ITV3 at 8pm. A popular member of a coastal community is violently and deliberately run off the road. The Radio Times pick of the day is the documentary Big Oil Versus the World on BBC2 at 9pm. Drawing on thousands of newly discovered documents, this world explores what the fossil fuel industry knew about climate change more than four decades ago. Scientists who worked for one of the biggest oil companies, Exxon, discuss the warnings they issued in the 1970s and early 80s about the potentially catastrophic effects of using fossil fuels. The drama Coroner is on more 4 at 9pm. Jenny suffers a bout of exhaustion while investigating the aftermath of a mass shooting, leading to dangerous consequences. The Welsh comedy series The Tuckers is on BBC Two at 10pm. Billy strikes a deal with Clock to buy some dodgy wine. Glynn gets in trouble with a local gangster and his violent sons. And finally, we come to Friday the 22nd of July. In This Is My House on BBC One at 8pm, Four Americans try to convince this week's panel that they are the Jenny who owns a picturesque two-bedroom cottage in the Highlands. There are two episodes of Father Brown on the Drama Channel tonight, starting at 8pm with The Dance of Death. A contestant is murdered at a ballroom dancing competition. Death in Paradise is on BBC One at 9pm. In this episode from series four, a murder suspect is found shot dead in a secure police cell. The Radio Times pick of the day is the period drama Jane Austen's Sanditon at 9pm on ITV. In the first episode of this new series, Charlotte returns to Sanditon and faces an important decision. Esther has an unwanted encounter and Georgina meets an intriguing artist. Agatha Christie's Poirot is on ITV3 at 10pm. Young heiress Norma Restrick tells Hercule Poirot that she may have killed someone. When her child and nanny is found dead, it seems she was telling the truth. Or was she? The late Friday night film on ITV at 10.45pm is the romantic comedy Bridget Jones' The Edge of Reason. When Bridget discovers her seemingly perfect barrister boyfriend Mark Darcy has unattractive qualities that she'd previously overlooked, she finds herself drawn once again to the dastardly Daniel Cleaver. I do hope you find some programs from my selection that will appeal to you.
1: DNF Soundings.